hello, hello. They didn't tell me I was going to have to talk to people. Uh, how are you? My name is Dale Allen Hoffman. I live in a land far away, um, Asheville, North Carolina, over the hill. Uh, honored to have Pat ask me to come here. We had a pretty amazing experience uh, on the in a river or next to a river last September, and we had been wanting to connect for a while. So uh, I'm very honored to be here. So who am I? What do I do? Um, I do, well, let me put it this way. Uh, What I'm known for is doing a lot of work with specifically the Aramaic language and in particular the oldest teachings in Aramaic and Koine Greek of what's attributed to a guy named Jesus, Yeshua. Jesus means Hail Zeus, uh, Jesus in Greek, in case you didn't know that. Um, What I do is I essentially crack the BS away from religion is what I try to do. Uh, belief systems. I don't know what you're thinking when I said BS, but um, it started for me when I was seven. Uh, I, I've, I've, which is normal, right? Uh, sitting on my grandmother's floor in the living room, and I remember she reminded me of this so many times before her passing. I, seven years old, I lay out seven or five Bibles right beside each other. This would have been uh, 1979, and. I opened up to the Gospel of Matthew, Matai, and Aramaic, and I started, I didn't know anything about Aramaic at the time, I started comparing the Beatitudes in five different Bibles to each other. Uh, I remember the five because I wrote them down when she kept reminding me. One was an original 1611 King James Bible. Uh, One was a King James Bible. One was a New King James Bible, all three which are absolutely, completely non-similar, completely different from one another, three versions of the King James alone, and then a Koine Greek Bible, and I don't remember what the fifth was. And I remember looking at these five Bibles, which is what kids do when they're seven, and comparing them to each other, and I was baffled because I I always had that nagging tug. Uh, It was a little bit in my gut, a little bit in my gag reflex, a little bit here and a little bit here as I I grew up in the Methodist church, and I was kind of always just told to eat the menu that was served. I always felt like I never got to the meal. So even when I was seven, I kind of had a feeling that there was a lot of something bogus uh, in a lot of religion. Uh, So I started comparing these five, and I remember saying to my grandmother, I'm a little bit confused here because I'm being told this is the word of God. Okay, I didn't know the word inerrant at the time. I'm sure it would be even more spicy if I did. Uh, I was like, I'm being told this is the word of God. How can it be so completely different in five different Bibles? Just a few phrases, you know, just a few verses here. Uh, And, of course, she said what they always say, which is you have to take that on faith. And I went, oh, okay. Um, What's faith? And she went, faith develops in time through faith. And I went, okay, that doesn't make any sense to me. So... She said, go ask the minister. So I went and asked the minister on Sunday, and what did he say? He's like, well, you have to take that on faith. I'm like, okay, what does faith mean? And he said, well, faith will develop in time through faith. And I'm like, okay. So I just kept looking, and when I was 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, when I was 14, I started writing down uh, words just from different uh, Bible translations, writing down the red stuff, the Jesus stuff, 
There's also the italicized stuff. Does anybody know what the italicized words are in the Bible? It means somebody put them there. They added them. Shh. Uh, there's a lot of them if you look. And it's funny, too, if you read the beginning of the original 1611 King James, they say, we might be wrong. And they also tell you that they went back to these ancient texts to translate that Bible. No, Tyndale, Coverdale, Geneva Bibles, three Bibles that they literally plagiarized from and just dumped it into the King James Version. Uh, I'll get back to King James maybe in a second. He's a colorful character. Uh, but here I am, and when I'm 14, I started like riffing on the words of Jesus. I'd write down a couple of lines and write what I thought it really meant. Uh, when I was 21, I discovered Aramaic. I'd already been dabbling in a little Latin, a little bit of Greek for a while. When I was 28, I started um, teaching those insights. When I was 35, I started doing it full-time. When I was 42, I wrote my, fir- my first book, and it's all in sevens, which makes it holy and spiritual. So... Um, King James, though, there was this guy that used to drive around in Asheville. And on the left side, there was a bumper sticker that said, if it's not the King James, it's not the Bible. Well, that's interesting. He's never studied anything about the guy, maybe. But but then on the right side, said, God hates a four-letter F word. You've all seen it before. Uh, it's an intriguing thing for me because if you're saying you're lauding King James and you're making this statement, then you're, number one, you're telling me you don't know anything about King James's love life or relationships. Um, it's a funny thing. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That in which you judge another, you are guilty of practicing. So, of course, if you turn on the TV on a Sunday morning and you find someone screaming homophobic slurs, if they didn't have it, they wouldn't feel it. And the reason they're screaming about it is because they're feeling something and they don't know how to process that. So you look at the catalyst, which is the enemy, which is a word in Aramaic that means the words laboyled bubaikun. And what that means is to restrict your breath. Enemy in Aramaic means those people that when you come into their presence, you stop breathing. Why would you stop breathing? You stop breathing because they're a catalyst. Uh, They're doing something to you, whether you want it or not, that was an ancient Gnostic idiom that was called the pinnacle of the temple. The temple is this. It's the word haikla in Aramaic, which means literally the word haya. I come to give you haya and give it abundantly. The word haya in Aramaic is conscious life energy. Haikla means the gathering of conscious life energy. It's the same word for church or sanctuary. And when that energy body opens, whether you believe in it or not, you don't have to believe in it because it's going to happen regardless of your beliefs or your thoughts. When the energy body opens, all of a sudden, just like hitting a note on a piano, if you hit it lightly, not much is going on. You start mashing that note and mashing it and mashing it. All of a sudden, you become aware of frequencies in that system that you weren't aware of before. And it's so easy for us to sort of talk about nice... spiritual energies. We call it spiritual because it's easy to swallow, right? But then all of a sudden, you've got the same frequency, just like the world today. We ask for greater light, higher awareness, faster vibration, and all the good new agey stuff. But with that is like taking a car from 40 miles an hour to 120. So all of a sudden, there's this responsibility to hear the same frequencies. It's the same frequencies. You wonder why everything's up right now? Because we weren't taught how to process any of that. You weren't allowed to think about things. Don't think. Just eat it. Eat the menu that's served. Forget about, forget about getting to the meal. The other thing is the map is not the terrain. You know, eat the map. Don't actually walk it. 
um, I've spent a lot of my years really deep in the scholarly aspects, and then I sort of went off on sort of a, the spiritual tangent, and then I came back somewhere in the middle. I got to say, you know, there's, if we can just get a better handle on the word spiritual and what it actually meant in the ancient times versus what we think it is today, it would open a lot of eyes up. Let me, I want to read first a couple of quotes from uh, my book. It's called Echoes of an Ancient Dream, Aramaic Toning on the Path of Light. What's toning? Toning is something that was in all, virtually all of the ancient, especially indigenous philosophies, where they would take a sacred sound, which means any sound you want to make. It tends to be vowel sounds, like, oh, and just make the sound and see how it feels. The ancient languages, especially Semitic languages, Hebrew, Arabic, Aramaic, Semitic, Akkadian, uh, Phoenician, Sumerian, all those languages, each letter in the language was based on a specific vibration, and they literally, the letters reflected the vibrations, and they believed that when you made the sound, you awakened the experience of what the vibration was. And they would literally puzzle piece. I can translate by letters or by words. If you understand the letters in a word without even knowing the cognitive meaning of a word, you can get a good translation of a word just by translating the letters. And most people don't realize the original Torah, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis, Berashit, wasn't words and verses and phrases and stories. It was a string of characters like a mathematical algorithm, like pi or a universal constant. And they didn't learn stories. They didn't add a story to that until almost a 1,000 years later. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth as one of 913-plus ways to translate the first line from Hebrew into any other language. And unfortunately, even between one and three centuries before the lifetime of Yeshua, they had already translated the Greek Torah or the Hebrew Torah into the Greek Septuagint, and all they did was translate the storyline. But the problem with that was they just translated what people believed about it. They translated the topical, what's called Peshat, uh, metaphorical story on top because there was no way to translate from Hebrew into Greek because Greek, especially Koine Greek, couldn't handle the translation. And then, of course, the rabbis of the day were saying this is the worst tragedy in the history of humanity because now the people of the future are going to think that it's about just the story on top. They're going to think there was really an Adam and Eve. And they're not going to understand all of the layers of insight, the deeper thoughts below. Did that happen? Yeah. So I started going deeper and deeper. And this particular book, though, it's not just about toning and making funny sounds. I say it tends to be vowel sounds because if you do it with consonants, vowels are easy. Consonants are like, and it's not quite as conducive to deep experience. Um, But there's a quote that heads up the book here. It's from a guy named Paramahansa Yogananda who had even longer hair than I do. Uh, It's from a book called Cosmic Chants. And he says, sound or vibration is the most powerful force in the universe. Music is a divine art to be used not only for pleasure, but as a path to God realization. Vibrations revolted, revolted, resulting from devotional singing lead to attunement with the cosmic vibration or the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, I'll say this. The hardest word to get from Aramaic into any other language, is the word word. The word in Greek, in Koine Greek, is logos, 
which is not a word on a page. If you called the word on a page, that word, logos, you committed a blasphemy because what you were doing was taking the structures of concepts of the human mind and think that you can just interchangeably pass that off to someone else. Lexus or Lego would be a word on a page. Now, what's intriguing here to me, though, uh, is that I've spent a lot of years trying to reveal how people connect things that aren't connected. They sort of get really excited about subjects, and they'll find this here. Mary Magdalene's a good example of that. You can read five dozen books about Mary Magdalene, and they all say something different. They all say they're correct. And they draw a lot of conclusions that aren't actually connected. And sometimes it gets a little bit weird. Uh, But there's always been that intangible place between two bits of information, and there was some sort of connection there that I was always intrigued by in my life. Um, And I kept coming back to that word spirit, spirit, spirit. You know, I, I talked earlier about that when that enemy or that experience comes and the energy body opens, that was a Gnostic idiom called the pinnacle of the temple. Pinnacle of the temple. And of course, what, a, what do most people think that is in religion? That Jesus climbed to the top of a brick tower. And there's a great quote from Joseph Campbell. He says, we continually mistake mythological archetypes as being references to historical facts. But you know why that happens? We were told not to think about it. And we were told not to investigate. We were told not to go off the path, which is why you're in this room instead of a few other buckle of the Bible belt rooms that are pretty close around us here. Um, I'm going to open this up a little more with a quote from a friend of mine. This is from the foreword to my book. This is a guy named Steve Vai. He's a real dear friend. He was actually in Paris a couple days ago when the attack happened with the bomb, the latest one in the van, whatever. Uh, I asked Steve for, to write a foreword for my book. It was 10 a.m. one day. He was in Siberia, of all places. He's this incredible guitar player and musician who's known worldwide for playing with a lot of amazing musicians. He'll go on stage, and he'll write an entire orchestral piece, and he'll play solo electric guitar with a full orchestra behind him, and he writes all of the instrumentation. Um, there's a great video of him on stage in Rio de Janeiro in September of last year playing in front of 90,000 people, 90,000 people in Brazil last year. And it's amazing because it's like uh, his music kind of hits a level that goes beyond anything that I can really comprehend on a technical level. But this is a quote from Steve. He says, everything is music. All things in creation are vibrational energies pulsating at various frequencies. On the physical plane, we see, taste, feel, smell, and hear vibrations that have frequencies within our sensory abilities to perceive them. The electrons spinning around the nucleus of an atom, the quarks within the nuclei, and the elements that make up the subatomic quantum levels are vibrating within a frequency spectrum that is contributing to the creation of elements that are beyond the limitations of the human senses. That's the key, beyond the limitations of the human senses. Similarly, but on a much larger scale, the planets that spin around our sun create a vibrational voice. As the solar systems move within a galaxy, within the infinite galaxies that move within the whole of physical creation, all weaving a multi-pitched celestial orchestra beyond the comprehension of the human senses. Has anybody maybe sensed anything out there today in the last couple of years? 
feeling things that you haven't felt before, maybe feeling a little bit on edge. Uh, and there's plenty of books. You can go to a, a, a spiritual bookstore and buy plenty of books that'll tell you how to process those energies. Uh, and then you meet the people that wrote the books and you feel like if you go, they're going to fall over and like shrivel up on the floor. Um, I find it very intriguing that um, just that word spiritual alone. Spiritual, spiritus is a Latin word, okay? It's a masculine gendered term. What does that mean? Let me explain what masculine means. My perception of this little bowl here in terms of linguistics, language is masculine. Masculine means it's manifest. Does anybody know what manifest means? We lost the meaning of this thanks to the publishing industry in the last 30 years. People think it means to bring into being or something like that or to create. Manus festus means as obvious as my own hand. So what that actually means in Latin is manifest doesn't mean that you're creating something. Manifest means that literally you don't get what you want. You don't get what you pray for. You don't get anything in relation to the words you send out. You only see what's obvious to you, regardless of what your words are saying. We've been duped into thinking that as an example, thought has this great creative power, but all the ancient philosophies say thought is actually nothing but the crystallization of feeling. What is feeling? The sensation of vibration. Think about those moments when you, were, you felt deeper or more one with everything, or the birth of a child, or the music was just right, or the campfire was just right, and you were in that state of transcendence. What's one thing you weren't doing? You weren't thinking. Thought has no creative power. Thought is simply the crystallization of feeling, which is the concentration of feeling, which is the sensation of frequency. So let's talk about frequency for a second. Steve was talking about that. Spiritus being masculine means that it's something physical. So people spend their whole lives trying to find the spiritual when they don't realize, in the words of St. Francis of Assisi, that what you are looking for is what is looking. You're trying to make manifest or obvious what you are. You already are the natural state of your being, your greater awareness. Whether you believe in it or not, it's there. Now, intriguingly, that word translated as spirit in in Greek is pneuma, which means underlying substance, which is neutered. It's neutral. It's not masculine or feminine. The word in Aramaic is rucha, ruach in Hebrew. Ruach, which is feminine. What does feminine mean? My perception of this bowl is is feminine. The bowl itself is masculine. My perception of words on a page is feminine. The words themselves are masculine. So what would that mean? It's funny because rucha or spirit in Aramaic, what it actually means is frequency or vibration. Frequency or vibration. And let me give you some examples of what that means. It could be the word spirit. What else would be an example of vibration? Sound. Breath. Heartbeat, boom, boom. The beat of a drum, boom, boom. Magnetism, electricity, electromagnetism. Frequency, vibration. But here's the thing. The words feminine in Aramaic, what does that mean? That means this. What's this that I feel on my arm? What's that? It's breath, right? 
It's not breath from the understanding that the first century Aramaic mind would have understood it. <sighs> they would have called that ruha. Unfortunately, we think of spirit and breath as two different things. Now, in Aramaic, because it's feminine, breath is not the hot air that I feel on my arm. It's not the air that moves through my lungs. That's not what breath meant. It meant my awareness of its movement or frequency. Do you understand the difference between that? Where what you're looking for is what is looking. So what it is to be spiritual means to be aware of vibration and frequency. Whether it's the movement of your breath or heartbeat, the flutters of the mind, electromagnetism, magnetism, cosmic expansion is the same word. Today, nuclear forces would fit, but I don't know that they knew about that. It's forces and frequencies, and many of these forces and frequencies are completely outside the realm of your senses, but they're affecting you either way. The transformations that are happening in the world today don't have anything to do with what you're thinking except as the outpicturing, the outgassing, the emanation, or the effect or crystallization of what you're feeling. And let me say something. What you're feeling, don't confuse that with emotion. Emotion is the Latin word motus anima, which means energy or frequency in motion. Emotion, energy and motion, motus anima. All of the trans, or transformations and all of this crazy stuff going on in the world, we can look at our thoughts, which can give us some idea of it, but it's really happening on the level of frequency or feeling. You ever notice those different times in your life when you have these really intense transcendent experiences, like I said, and you're not thinking? It's not about what you're thinking, it's about what you're feeling. Now, emotion is different. The way the ancient philosophies say is that there's the one, the whatever that is. You can call it whatever you want. Call it God, call it Louise. She sells a lot of books, you can call it Louise. But, but the one became so full of itself that it emanated out. And that's what the word is, that's the I. That's frequency. As that vibration or pulse becomes aware of itself, that becomes the I am. You don't have to believe in it. It's there. You can call it whatever you want. You don't have to call it the I am. And that's the sensation of frequency, which is feeling, and that's where all creative capacity lies. In what you feel, not in what you think, because I'm telling you right now, what you think probably isn't correct anyway, because we've screwed the language up so bad, especially in the English, we don't even know what the words mean anymore. Awful means what? Full of all. Terrific means what? Full of terror. I think we screwed it up. Gay doesn't mean what it used to, that's for sure. We've messed up the language so bad that we think the power is in our thoughts and what we're saying, but it's not. It's in what you're feeling behind that. It's in the vibration. You've got the one which outpictures. That's the vibration. When that vibration becomes aware of itself, you've got that one light that manifests itself, and you seem to think that there's nine billion lights walking across the earth or nine billion bits of consciousness when there's really only one. When that becomes aware of itself, that's feeling. Feeling crystallizes in the thought. And then the relationship between your thoughts and that wholeness or the holiness, the oneness, if those thoughts are in vibration or calibration with that wholeness, you experience ecstasy and joy and happiness and things like that. If they're out of calibration, whatever thought or feeling it is, then you suffer because you're trying to fight against the very frequency that you are. And then as an example, sorry, uh, 
it's an election year, so I'll say it, you know. Don't think about the one politician you don't want in office. Does it work? I'm not going to name any politicians. I could. Let's just make it easier. You know, don't think about Elvis Presley. Who are you not thinking about? It doesn't work to not think about the things you're trying not to think about. Because as soon as it happens, that resonates those frequencies in your system and that creates regardless of what you're thinking. Because it happens on the level of feeling. And that's why each of us can have a thought about the same person, but we're all going to have a completely different experience because of what we're feeling. But of course, we're told not to feel your feelings because they're not as dependable as thoughts. But all your thoughts are is your crystallized feelings anyway. And most of what you're feeling is based on the perception of a three-year-old. The little three-year-old girl and the father comes home and screams her down into a fetal position on the floor after a night of binge drinking. And she was all happy. And then all of a sudden, she's 33 years old, standing in front of her life partner. It doesn't matter if it's a male or a female. And that person says just the right thing, or maybe they've got the scent of alcohol in their breath. And all of a sudden, she opens up, and she's not looking at her partner at the age of 33. She's looking at her father from the perception of a three-year-old, and she's completely unconscious of the process. Religion can't save you. Unfortunately, the word religion in Latin is religio, which means to reveal the ligaments, which I was, what I would say most of it is exactly not. There's no thought structure or concept that is going to save you because you don't need to be saved because you already are what you're looking for. And you know what? You're allowed to actually second-guess the things that are served to you on a menu because I'm telling you right now, most of it's garbage anyway. Most of the stuff that ended up in a lot of the books, especially here in the West... All that is is the misogynist views of the people in power, the politics, the economy, and the religion under one umbrella. And unfortunately, the ones that win the wars are the ones that write the history books. So that means it wasn't until the mid-'90s that I realized that what was in my history books, especially U.S. history, that I went to school with for a decade and a half, everything that was in those books, most of it wasn't even true. It never happened especially the stuff in America about those savage heathens, the stuff that the Euro-Americans said. I read a, a book called Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee right after I graduated high school, and it blew my mind open because I went, wait a second. They told me in school that if you go back and you look in the microfiche in, in the library and you look at the newspaper article from January 1st, 1901, you're going to find out what happened that day but you won't necessarily find out what happened that day. What you'll find out is what they wrote about that day, whether it happened or not. Because trust me, they were making a lot of this stuff up, sensational stories, stuff that would sell newspapers and get picked up on Newswire so they'd become rich and famous. And that's how we created our history books. That's only started to be calibrated in the last 15 years, so that's my time. So what I'm saying is, In the midst of all of this chaos that's going on, it almost sounds like a, I shouldn't say the B word, but it's like something's about to burst. I'll just put it that way. At the still point of all of this chaos of what's going on for us, there is, there's a still point there. And T.S. Eliot talked about it in the four quartets at the still point of the turning world. And what I'm saying is, 
regardless of anything that you're feeling and anything that you're thinking and all of the smashing and clashing and bashing of all of the things that you think and believe and all the things that you were programmed with and all the things that media programs you with and the politicians and the churches and the religions and the books and the experts. You know what a religious expert is? It's the ones that can regurgitate most efficiently the bits of information that were programmed into them. The better they can regurgitate the menu that was programmed in, the more they're called an expert. I'm not called an expert. I'm called a heretic. Anybody know what the word heretic means? It was a Greek word, heresis, and it means to choose. They didn't want you choosing. In the midst of all of the chaos that all of these lies and all of these manipulations and all of this BS and belief systems have created, in the midst of all that, there's a still point. And that's more important than anything else for us right now. We're trying to hold on to the things that we believe as they're shattering and literally piling up at our feet. Yes, my toenails are black. There's no spiritual significance to it. I just gave in to my wife and let her paint my toenails black. I'll have to make a good story up for that, though. There's a spiritual thing from ancient Egypt where... Everybody knows that still point that I'm talking about. What does it mean to be spiritual? It means to be aware of that still point and allow whatever frequencies are moving through your system or through your world to just, in the words of the Lakota, let the wind blow through you. Just allow yourself to be open. Stop trying to hold on to all the stuff that you think and believe because there's nothing that you think or believe that could ever encompass the magnitude of those things that thoughts can't touch. It's okay to let go and be open. But it also doesn't mean you got to buy somebody else's BS. You're allowed to think and you're allowed to feel. This is the point. I mean, we are literally the seventh generation the Lakota spoke of in 1877. It's us. That runs from 20, 2010 to 2025. And we're right in the middle of that, literally, right in the center of that seventh generation that Crazy Horse talked about. You're in a good place because you're allowed to think here. I got to tell you, I go to a lot of places, a lot of New thought churches, they're not really allowed to think. It's not that they're not allowed to think. It, I find it kind of sometimes very airy, and I find it very hollow. And I think a lot of those older ideas, the new thought is becoming old thought quickly because people are still holding on to these thoughts from 120 years ago. What you think now and what you feel now is just as valid as what they thought because you're in the same source. You're in that same interplay of vibration and frequency. Just let it happen and allow yourself to be that point of entry because we are literally the ones we have been waiting for and we are the still point of the turning world. Let the world do what it's going to do. Just let it fall apart. That's why we're here, not necessarily to let it fall apart, but to be that point. Just stay open. And you are allowed to think. And you are allowed to second guess. Namaste. Thank you for your time. For more information about Thales' work, including writings, audio, video, Thales' current appearance schedule, to schedule Thales for an appearance in your area, or to join the Aramaic Healing Circle email list, please visit www.daleallenhoffman.com. 
Thank you for listening and for your support of Dale's work.